Chapter 12, Part 1 of Struggles and Triumphs or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum. Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum. Chapter 12, In France. Part 1. Before taking the little general and party to Paris, I went over alone to arrange the preliminaries for our campaign in that city. Paris was not altogether a strange place to me. Months before, when I had successfully established my exhibition in London, I ran over to Paris to see what I could pick up in the way of curiosities for my museum in New York, for during my whole sojourn abroad, and amid all the excitements of my new career, I never forgot the interests of my many and generous patrons at home. The occasion which first called me to France was the Quinquennial Exposition in Paris. At that time, there was an assemblage every five years of inventors and manufacturers who exhibited specimens of their skill, especially in articles of curious and ingenious mechanism, and I went from London mainly to attend this exposition. There I met and became well acquainted with Robert Houdin, the celebrated conjurer. He was a watchmaker by trade, but very soon displayed a wonderful ability and ingenuity which he devoted with so much assiduity to the construction of a complicated machine that he lost all mental power for a considerable period. When he recovered, he employed himself with great success in the manufacture of mechanical toys and automata, which attracted much attention and afterwards he visited Great Britain and other countries, giving a series of juggling exhibitions which were famous throughout Europe. At this quinquennial exposition which I attended, he received a gold medal for his automata, and the best figure which he had on exhibition I purchased at a good round price. It was an automaton writer and artist, a most ingenious little figure, which sat at a table and readily answered with the pencil certain questions. For instance, if asked for an emblem of fidelity, the figure instantly drew a correct picture of a handsome dog. The emblem of love was shown in an exquisite drawing of a little cupid. The automaton would also answer many questions in writing. I carried this curious figure to London and exhibited it for some time in the Royal Adelaide Gallery, and then sent it across the Atlantic to the American Museum. During my very brief visit to Paris, Houdin was giving evening performances in the Palais Royal, in Le Jardin, and I was frequently present by invitation. Houdin also took pains to introduce me to other inventors of moving figures, which I purchased freely, and made a prominent feature in my museum attractions. I managed, too, during my short stay, to see something of the surface of the finest city in the world. And now, going to Paris the second time, I was very fortunate in making the acquaintance of Mr. Dion Bouchicault, who was then temporarily sojourning in that city, and who at once kindly volunteered to advise and assist me in regard to numerous matters of importance relating to the approaching visit of the general. He spent a day with me in the search for suitable accommodations for my company, and by giving me the benefit of his experience, he saved me much trouble and expense. I have never forgotten the courtesy extended to me by this gentleman. 
I stopped at the Hotel Bedford and, securing an interpreter, began to make my arrangements. The first difficulty in the way was the government tax for exhibiting natural curiosities, which was no less than one-fourth of the gross receipts, while theaters paid only eleven per cent. This tax was appropriated to the benefit of the city hospitals. Now, I knew from my experience in London that my receipts would be so large as to make 25% of them a far more serious tax than I thought I ought to pay to the French government, even for the benefit of the admirable hospitals of Paris. Accordingly, I went to the License Bureau and had an interview with the chief. I told him I was anxious to bring a dwarf to Paris, but that the percentage to be paid for a license was so large as to deter me from bringing him. But letting the usual rule go, what should I give him in advance for a two-months license? My dear sir, he answered, you had better not come at all. These things never draw, and you will do nothing or so little that the percentage need not trouble you. I expressed my willingness to try the experiment and offered 1,000 francs in advance for a license. The chief would not consent, and I then offered 2,000 francs. This opened his eyes to a chance for a speculation, and he jumped at my offer. He would do it on his own account, he said, and pay the amount of one quarter of my receipts to the hospitals. He was perfectly safe in making such a contract, he thought, for he had 15,000 francs in bank. But I declined to arrange this with him individually, so he called his associates together and presented the matter in such a way that the board took my offer on behalf of the government. I paid down the 2,000 francs and received a good, strong contract and license. The chief was quite elated and handed me the license with the remark, Now we have made an agreement, and if you do not exhibit, or if your dwarf dies during the two months, you shall not get back your money. All right, thought I. If you are satisfied, I am sure I have every reason to be so. I then hired, at a large rent, the Salle Moussard, Rue Vivienne, in a central and fashionable quarter close to the boulevards, and engaged an interpreter, ticket-seller, and a small but excellent orchestra. In fact, I made the most complete arrangements, even to starting the preliminary paragraphs in the Paris papers, and after calling on the Honorable William Rufus King, the United States Minister at the Court of France, who assured me that after my success in London there would be no difficulty whatever in my presentation to King Louis-Philippe and family, I returned to England. I went back to Paris with General Tom Thumb and party, some time before I intended to begin my exhibitions, and on the very day after my arrival I received a special command to appear at the Tuileries on the following Sunday evening. It will be remembered that Louis-Philippe's daughter, the wife of King Leopold of Belgium, had seen the general at Buckingham Palace, a fact that had been duly chronicled in the French as well as English papers, and I have no doubt that she had privately expressed her gratification at seeing him. With this advantage, and with the prestige of our receptions by Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, we went to the Tuileries with full confidence that our visit and reception would be entirely satisfactory. At the appointed hour, the general and I, arrayed in the conventional court costume, were ushered into a grand salon of the palace where we were introduced to the king, the queen, Princess Adelaide, the Duchess d'Orléans, and her son, the Count de Paris, Prince de Genville, Duke and Duchess de Nemours, 
the duchesse d'aumale and a dozen or more distinguished persons among whom was the editor of the official journal des débats the court circle entered into conversation with us without restraint and were greatly delighted with the little general king louis philippe was minute in his inquiries about my country and talked freely about his experiences when he wandered as an exile in america he playfully alluded to the time when he earned his living as a tutor and said he had roughed it generally and had even slept in indian wigwams general tom thumb then went through with his various performances to the manifest pleasure of all who were present and at the close the king presented to him a large emerald brooch set with diamonds the general expressed his gratitude and the king turning to me said you may put it on the general if you please which i did to the evident gratification of the king as well as the general king louis philippe was so condescending and courteous that i felt quite at home in the royal presence and ventured upon a bit of diplomacy the longchamps celebration was coming a day once devoted to religious ceremony but now conspicuous for the display of court and fashionable equipages in the champs-elysees and the bois de boulogne and as the king was familiarly conversing with me i ventured to say that i had hurried over to paris to take part in the longchamps display and i asked him if the general's carriage could not be permitted to appear in the avenue reserved for the court and the diplomatic corps representing that the general's small but elegant establishment with its ponies and little coachmen and footmen would be in danger of damage in the general throng unless the special privilege i asked was accorded the king smilingly turned to one of the officers of his household and after conversing with him for a few moments he said to me call on the prefet of police to-morrow afternoon and you will find a permit ready for you our visit occupied two hours and when we went away the general was loaded with fine presents the next morning all the newspapers noticed the visit and the journal des débats gave a minute account of the interview and of the general's performances taking occasion to say in speaking of the character parts that there was one costume which the general wisely kept at the bottom of his box that costume however the uniform of bonaparte was once exhibited by particular request as will be seen anon longchamp day arrived and among the many splendid equipages on the grand avenue none attracted more attention than the superb little carriage with four ponies and liveried and powdered coachmen and footmen belonging to the general and conspicuous in the line of carriages containing the ambassadors to the court of france thousands upon thousands rent the air with cheers for general tom Pousse. there never was such an advertisement the journals next day made elaborate notices of the turnout and thereafter whenever the general's carriage appeared on the boulevards as it did daily the people flocked to the doors of the cafes and shops to see it pass thus before i opened the exhibition all paris knew that general tom thumb was in the city the french are exceedingly impressible and what in london is only excitement in paris becomes furor under this pressure with the prestige of my first visit to the tuileries and the numberless paragraphs in the papers i opened my doors to an eager throng the elite of the city came to the exhibition the first day's receipts were five thousand five hundred francs which would have been doubled if i could have made room for more patrons 
there were afternoon and evening performances and from that day secured seats and an extra price were engaged in advance for the entire two months the season was more than a success it was a triumph it seemed too as if the whole city was advertising me the papers were profuse in their praises of the general and his performances figaro the punch of paris gave a picture of an immense mastiff running away with the general's carriage and horses in his mouth statuettes of tom Puss appeared in all the windows in plaster parian sugar and chocolate songs were written about him and his lithograph was seen everywhere a fine cafe on one of the boulevards took the name of tom Puss and displayed over the door a life-size statue of the general in paris as in london several eminent painters expressed their desire to paint his portrait but the general's engagements were so pressing that he found little time to sit to artists all the leading actors and actresses came to the general's levees and petted him and made him many presents meanwhile the daily receipts continued to swell and i was compelled to take a cab to carry my bag of silver home at night the official who had compromised with me for a two months license at two thousand francs was amazed as well as annoyed at the success of my dwarf he came or sent a man to the levies to take account of the receipts and every additional thousand francs gave him an additional twinge he seriously appealed to me to give him more money but when i reminded him of the excellent bargain he supposed he was making especially when he added the conditional clause that i should forfeit the two thousand francs if i did not exhibit or if the general died he smiled faintly and said something about a yankee trick i asked him if he would renew our agreement for two months more on the same terms and he shrugged his shoulders and said no monsieur bonham you will pay me twenty-five per cent of your receipts when the two months of our contract expires but i did not for i appealed to the authorities claiming that i should pay only the ordinary theatrical tax since the general's exhibition consisted chiefly of character imitations in various costumes and he was more attractive as an actor than as a natural curiosity my view of the case was decided to be correct and thereafter in paris and throughout france with few exceptions i paid only the eleven per cent theatrical tax indeed in paris the general made a great hit as an actor and was elected a member of the french dramatic society besides holding his levies he appeared every night at the vaudeville theatre in a french play entitled petite poussette and written expressly for him and he afterwards repeated the part with great success in other cities the demands upon our time were incessant we were invited everywhere to dinners and entertainments and as many of these were understood to be private performances of the general we were most liberally remunerated therefore mr galignani invited us to a soiree and introduced us to some of the most prominent personages including artists actors and editors in paris the general was frequently engaged at a large price to show himself for a quarter of an hour at some fancy or charitable fair and much money was made in this way on sundays he was employed at one or another of the great gardens in the outskirts and thus was seen by thousands of working people who could not attend his levees all classes became acquainted with tom Puss. 
we were commanded to appear twice more at the Tuileries, and we were also invited to the palace on the king's birthday to witness the display of fireworks in honor of the anniversary our fourth and last visit to the royal family was by special invitation at st cloud on each occasion we met nearly the same persons but the visit to st cloud was by far the most interesting of our interviews on this one occasion and by the special request of the king the general personated napoleon bonaparte in full costume louis philippe had heard of the general in this character and particularly desired to see him but the affair was quite on the sly and no mention was made of it in the papers particularly in the journal des débats which thought no doubt that costume was still at the bottom of the general's box we remained an hour and at parting each of the royal company gave the general a splendid present almost smothered him with kisses wished him a safe journey through france and a long and happy life after bidding them adieu we retired to another portion of the palace to make a change of the general's costume and partake of some refreshments which were prepared for us half an hour afterwards as we were about leaving the palace we went through a hall leading to the front door and in doing so passed the sitting-room in which the royal family were spending the evening the door was open and some of them happening to espy the general called out for him to come in and shake hands with them once more we entered the apartment and there found the ladies sitting round a square table each provided with two candles and every one of them including the queen was engaged in working at embroidery while a young lady was reading aloud for their edification i am sorry to say i believe this is a sight seldom seen in families of the aristocracy on either side of the water at the church fairs in paris i had frequently seen pieces of embroidery for sale which were labelled as having been presented and worked by the duchess d'orleans princess adelaide duchess de demour and other titled ladies we also visited by invitation the napoleon school for young ladies established by the first napoleon at st denis five miles north of paris and the general greatly delighted the old pensioners at the invalides by calling upon them and shaking many of them by the hand if the general could have been permitted to present to these survivors of waterloo his representation of their chief and emperor he would have aroused their enthusiasm as well as admiration end of chapter eleven part one recording by nancy cochran gergen gilbert arizona